Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. So last week, we began this series exploring what the world needs now. And I told you that the world is full of bad news. Everywhere we turn, there's bad news. And what the world needs now is good news. Paul told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 what that good news is. He said these are the most important truths. That Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again after three days. You can debate Christian morals with an unbeliever if you want to, but I will tell you, you're wasting your breath. Why do we believe that we should debate morals with an unbeliever? The preaching of the cross is foolishness to the unbeliever. They don't live by our moral standards. They don't claim to. They don't want to. And so too many Christians are creating points of contention by debating people and and their sin. What we need to be concentrating on is trying our best to help people to realize and, and to convince them that Christ died for them, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day. If we can convince them of that, we can convince them of anything. But that's what we need to be focusing on. There was a man that was on trial for murder. And the only possible evidence that they had against this this man, the only thing the prosecutor had against him was some blood splatter at the scene of the crime. And so it was being tested uh, for, for the DNA results. And his lawyer came to him and his lawyer said, well, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. And the defendant said, well, give me the bad news first. And the lawyer said, well, the bad news is that the DNA test showed that it was your blood all over the scene of the crime. The defendant said, oh no, I am ruined. And his lawyer said, well, the good news is your cholesterol is down to 130. (laughs) Why is it Why is it that in sharing the good news of Jesus, we often start with the bad news first? That's how they see us. Outside of the walls of the church, the world looks at us and and they think to themselves, what's so good about their good news? Because all they're sharing with us is their bad news. Think about it, bad news. You've got a drinking problem. How do I know I've been digging through your trash and I see all of the beer bottles? It's a little creepy, but that's the bad news. The good news is Jesus loves you. And it's lost. It's lost in translation. The bad news, you're in an ungodly relationship. What fellowship does light have with darkness? You're unequally yoked. The good news, Jesus loves you. And if you end that relationship, God will send you a godly man. But what if he doesn't? Can you guarantee that? Good news. We've got good news, people, good news, but we overshadow it with such bad news. And what's happening is that the church, we are trying, Christians are trying to play the role of the Holy Spirit, and we are trying to force conviction on people. And we've got to be careful with this because that is legalism at its best. We must be careful. We are not the Holy Spirit. That is not our job to force conviction on people. 
our job is to show them the good news of Jesus. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict them and give them the bad news. But here's the reason why it's the Holy Spirit's job is he's the comforter. And so he can deliver bad news so much better than we can. And so when we bring them to Christ and the Holy Spirit begins working on them, he can convince them. And by the time he brings up the bad news, it's not as bad as it seems because once they experience the love of Jesus Christ, and they feel that conviction on their life, then they will want to change. But our job is to share with them the good news. John chapter 4, I want to read a number of verses today, and I'm going to stop at one point, just leave your Bibles open, because I'm going to come back to it a couple of times. John chapter 4, I'm going to begin by reading verses 3 through 14. John chapter 4, starting at verse 3. It says, he, he being Jesus, Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sachar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to Jesus, sir, have you nothing to draw water with? And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, again, whoever drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will be Will, will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The world is waiting for good news. And whoever it is that brings them that good news will earn the right to speak into their lives. Notice that Jesus didn't start the conversation off condemning this woman at the well. He could have. She's got a history. She's got a past. But, but he didn't point out her shortcomings and her flaws to begin with. You see, Jesus walks up and he offers her good news. He calls it living water, which is a term that they gave for spring water. It's living water. And he says, what I have to give you is living water. The well here in this story is just an object lesson. It was the conversation starter. It was just a tool that God used to engage communication with this woman. It would be no different than us going down to, to the coffee shop and just sitting over a cup of coffee and talking about coffee beans. In this moment, it was just to engage in conversation with this woman. I was recently consulting with another church. And I was trying to help them uh, grow beyond their, their current 
growth barrier where they're at. The church has become a little stagnant and, and they've just reached that limit and they can't grow beyond that. And so I was there talking with their leadership team and, and as, as we were talking, uh, for the most part, the night was good. And we were sharing things. I was talking about church growth. I was talking about structure. I was talking about volunteers and assimilation and the importance of all of these things, things that we know will, will help grow a church. But when I started talking to them, when I started talking to these leaders about investing in outreach in their community, I, I could tell by the looks on some of their faces that, that they were a little unsure about spending money on a, on a fall festival. And so I listened to them just for a few moments as they debated with each other. It, it, it wasn't ugly, but yet there were still concerns in the room as they were sharing with each other. I'm not sure if we can do that. Mind you, the, the church had plenty of money in the bank. Money was not a problem, but the church kept collecting money and therefore they were just becoming a bank, just, just taking on money and never spending any money on the community. And so this became a point of contention and I asked the group of leaders, I said, if you're not having events to get them here on your property, then what are you doing to go onto their turf and to have contact with them and have meaningful conversations about eternity. How's that, how's that working out for you? And one gray-haired woman in the room said, well, we do open the doors of this church every Sunday and we pay the utility bills. All they have to do is show up. And I thought to myself, that's it. Man, why am I here? You know, obviously you've got the answer. That's it. All you have to do is pay the electric bill and that's it. I mean, in a place where they don't feel worthy enough to be or they feel judged to walk in in the first place, all you've got to do is pay the electric bill and sure enough, they'll show up. And so I didn't say that out loud, but, but I did laugh a little bit. And when I, when I did, these light bulbs started going off around the room on some of the other leaders and I could tell it was starting to sink in. And so then all I could do was talk about our church and I explained to them that we invest in the community in hopes that they will show up one Sunday and we get to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to them. I then also explained to them, I was very honest, and I said, for some of these people, you will provide free community events for years and they'll never step foot in your church. And it's all right. I said, because if you have free community events for 10 years and just one person comes to know Jesus Christ, that's worth it. You know, some of you are in this room today because you first came to a community event, whether it was the Easter extravaganza or a family fest or another event that we hosted. You came to this church because you saw a heart of people wanting to serve a community and invest in a community. Once Jesus had the Samaritan woman's attention he offered her that living water. He said that she would never thirst again. He offers her eternal life. And, and Jesus is the only one who could offer that eternal life. That was it. And, and good news, church, good news is only good news if it is received. If it's not received, it's not good news. Good news is only good news if it is received into the ear of the one that is listening. There was a doctor that called one of his patients with critical test results. And the doctor said, I've got some good news 
and I've got some bad news. Which one you want first? And the patient said, well, I, I guess, I guess give me the good news. The doctor said, well, the good news is you have 24 hours to live. And the patient said, do what? I only have 24 hours to live. That's the good news? If that's the good news, I hate to hear the bad news. What else you got for me? The doctor said, well, unfortunately, I forgot to call you yesterday. <laughs> good news is only good news if it is received. If it's not received, it's not good news. And this Samaritan woman was primed and ready to receive what Jesus was selling. And I don't mean to diminish it down to that because he's not a product, but he had something for her. She needed to buy into this and she was ready for some good news. Listen to verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now, obviously, she's a, a little confused about what he is offering. He's offering her spiritual water. She's still looking for physical water. But, but nevertheless, she is open to this conversation. It, it's kind of like the, the five love languages for marriage. And I, I don't have time to go through them, and, and I don't want to because then me and my wife are going to start arguing about what I don't give to her. So we're just going to we're just going to keep moving past that. But you must learn to speak the language of your listener. If there's someone that you want to share the good news of Jesus with, you've got to learn to communicate with them on their level and what they need for their life. Because you can be saying all the right things, but if it doesn't speak to their heart, then you're saying it the wrong way. Because people receive good news differently. And we must learn to communicate God loves you to a person that doesn't have a relationship with God. There was a time in our nation where everyone had some church experience. There was a time when everyone in our nation was at least familiar with church, but we don't live in a world like that anymore. We are surrounded by people that they do not know what Christianity truly is and they've never been to church and we've got to learn to communicate God loves you and terminology that they will understand. It reminds me of this kid named Brandon that was basically forced by his sister to attend a youth conference at Panama City Beach one weekend. There are at least a thousand, maybe 1,500 students that went there and, and usually in a conference like that, there's usually a handful of students that, that don't wanna be there. Even though it was a, a great weekend, a, a weekend packed with powerful worship services and, and wonderful speakers and, and even fun on the beach, he did not want to be there because Brandon was an atheist and he did not have any intentions of changing his mind about that. And so during the conference, he would endure the worship services. He didn't want to be there, but he would make it through the worship services because he knew at the end of the night when everything was done that the youth group was going to leave that conference. They were going to go to a local restaurant and they were going to pig out, stay up late and play video games all night long. And so he just endured the, the conference to get to that moment. But at the end of one of the sessions, the guest speaker invited non-Christians to come and hang out with him after the conference. He said, when tonight's session ends, he said, 
I want to invite all of you that are not Christians, you're, you're not believers, I want you to come hang out with me backstage and we're going to discuss how to survive a Christian conference when you're not a Christian. <laughs> and out of thousands of students, Brandon and five other students showed up. And they hung out backstage for a while with this conference speaker. And during their conversation, Brandon asked, he said, why are Christian songs so creepy? And, and it took the speaker back for a moment. He, he was caught off guard because he never considered Christian songs being creepy. You know, there are certain songs that we sing that if you don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will be one of the strangest, the lyrics would be just so weird. And so he asked Brandon, he said, Brandon, what are you talking about? I don't understand what you're saying. And he said, just give me an example. And, and Brandon referenced a song that was sang that night in the conference. And, and it was a song that we used to sing here at DCC. And the lyrics go that, uh, like this. It says, my heart and my soul, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out. Brandon said, why do you want your God to eat your guts? Why do you want your God to consume you from the inside out? He said, that's gross. He then said, he said, why do you Christians hate sheep so much? Think about almost every Easter song. He said, why do you hate sheep so much? And, and the speaker said, Brandon, what are you talking about? And he said, you're always singing about slaying sheep and crucifying them and taking baths in their blood. He said, it's weird, it's gross, and I don't get it. I don't understand what you are talking about. And so the speaker, seeing this as an opportunity, explained to him a short version of the Passover story and, and how the Jewish people would sacrifice sheep as an atonement for their wrongdoings, as an atonement for their sins. And, and Brandon thought that this was a horrible practice and, and he was worried that they still did this to sheep. And he just keeps asking questions about, are the sheep okay? You know, why would they do this to the sheep? And obviously this opened the door for him to present to Brandon the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ and how God came to earth as a human and, and was sacrificed for the sins of humanity. Mission accomplished. Good news was shared. Until Brandon said, but what about the sheep? Out of everything that had been said, all Brandon could think about was the sheep. Obviously, Brandon was an animal lover. But in this moment, Brandon is off script. The conversation is not supposed to go this way. When you present the gospel of Jesus Christ to an unbeliever and you're that convincing, they're just supposed to receive it, right? And they're just supposed to pray a prayer and then you get to check that off your list and move on. But, but Brandon wasn't going that direction. He wasn't getting it because, because he was concerned about the sheep and they don't teach you how to deal with that in seminary. He said, what about the sheep? Do they still have to die today? And the speaker said, no, no, Brandon. Not since Jesus died. He took their place and they no longer have to. 
And Brandon said, wow. His face lit up and he said, that's really good news. Brandon was now open to Jesus because of the good news that he heard about the sheep that he obviously cared for so much. Church, good news isn't good news if it is overshadowed by bad news. And that's what the church has become so good at. We overshadow the gospel, the good news of Jesus with bad news. Think about this. We want real people with real problems to fall in love with the real God that they can't really see. Do you know what we're asking them to do? Do you know how much faith it takes to believe in a God that you can't see? For some of us, we've been a part of this for so long that we don't even consider what we believe anymore. But it's out there. This just doesn't happen naturally. Someone has to explain to you the good news of Jesus Christ. Someone has to make it a point to, to explain to you why Jesus died on a cross for the sins of humanity. And that's not an easy conversation to, to jump into. And so here at DCC, we believe in something, and we used to teach this a whole lot more than we do now, but, but I, think it, I think we need to talk about it for a moment because we believe in indirect evangelism. I believe in direct evangelism. I don't, don't get me wrong. I believe there are moments that the Holy Spirit prepares a person's heart and you can have that conversation and they're, they're, they're asking for Jesus even before you have a chance to, to get it out of your mouth. Direct evangelism takes a lot of boldness. It takes courage for you to pull that off. And, and, and I believe in it. And I believe every believer's called to direct evangelism, to have uncomfortable conversations about eternity. I believe it happens. But one of the most effective tools that we have here at DCC is indirect evangelism. And what I mean by that is that there's plenty of opportunities for us to extend an invitation to someone who needs Jesus and they will not even know that they're going to get the gospel when they show up. I'll go ahead and tell you this. Start, start inviting people now to our Christmas worship experience. They're going to hear some of the best music that they'll hear in the North Florida area, I guarantee you. But before that day is over, someone will introduce them to Jesus Christ. But if they like music, get them here. It'll be worth it. It's indirect evangelism. It's having these community events where we, we reach out to a community and, and, and we, we're not in their face saying, you're going to hell, ask me how. We're, we're, we don't do that, okay? It's indirect evangelism. And this is why we're in the middle of a serve month here at DCC. If we could ever learn that the best way for people to see Jesus is to see him through us. Matthew 5 and 16 said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
Ephesians 2 and 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works and God prepared beforehand, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, God has already prepared good works for you to accomplish. He's already prepared them beforehand. This serve month was already prepared beforehand for you to walk this out and to show his glory, to show his love to a world that needs Jesus Christ. James 2 verses 14 through 17 says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You were created for good works. That's indirect evangelism, doing something for someone, being kind to someone. Random acts of kindness. Why? Just so that you can show the love of God in a very practical way. And we are not saved by our good works. I don't want anyone in this room to, to walk out of here and say, Pastor Rocky says that we need to do good works in order to obtain salvation. No, the Bible is very clear. We are not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. That when you have the love of Christ in you, then you have no choice but to share that with someone else. What you have received, you want to freely give. And Jesus obviously was a master at this. Jesus would often share some good news with someone before he shared the good news with them. I think about the bridegroom at the wedding in Cana. The good news for him was, was turning water into wine. For the official son, the good news was his son being healed. For the man with leprosy, the good news was clean skin. For the widow and Nain, the good news was her son being raised from the dead. For Jairus, it was his daughter being raised from the dead. For the two blind men, the good news was the restoration of sight. For the invalid at the pool of Bethesda, the good news was being able to walk. For the 5,000 hungry men, their wives and their children, the good news was the multiplication of food. And for Mary and Martha, the good news was the resurrection of their, their brother Lazarus. You see, when you give someone some good news, it opens the door for you to give them the good news. When you're willing to meet a very practical need in someone's life, it opens the lines of communication for you to tell them about Jesus and what he did for them. So later on in this conversation with the Samaritan woman, Jesus did bring up the bad news. For those of you that know the rest of the story, you know he did. But notice that it was only after the good news was presented first. So he tells her about the living water. And she says, I want what you have. I want this. We go to verse 16, and Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And once again, she recognizes some truth, but she doesn't see the full picture because Jesus wasn't a prophet. The prophets talked about the coming of Jesus. Jesus wasn't a prophet. He was the Lamb of God. He was God's Son. He was Emmanuel, God with us. 
She was standing in the presence of the Messiah that she was praying for and didn't even know it. And now Jesus is about to share that good news with her. But he had presented the good news and that opened the door for him to talk about what needed to change in her life. Sometimes, church, we forget that the gospel is good news. Christians all across this world, we need to remember that the gospel is good news. You see, I don't have a problem sharing good news with anybody. And for some of you, and I'll put myself in this category too, because it's not always easy. But sharing the gospel with someone is not as easy as it is sharing good news with someone. Animosity builds up. It's uncomfortable. And we forget that the gospel is good news, but I don't have a problem at all sharing good news with someone. Matter of fact, if you give me a crisp $100 bill and you said, find a stranger, just go give them this, this, this $100 bill right now. Some of you are hoping I'm about to do an illustration and give you some money right now. I'm not. But if you handed me $100 and said, just go find a stranger right now and have a conversation with them and give them this $100, I don't have a problem with that at all because that's going to be freely received. They, they don't have a problem with that at all. But if you hand me that $100 bill and said, I want you to go give this to a stranger, but I want you to put some stipulations on it. I want you to put some conditions on this. Then, then I'm, I'm going to have animosity at that moment. I, I don't want to have that conversation because I don't want to go up to a complete stranger and offer them something with conditions. And, and because, you know, in that moment, I, I don't want to have to look at them and say, you got to cut your hair in order for me to give this to you. I don't want to look at them and say, you're going to have to change the way that you dress in order for me to give this to you. But is that not what we do sometimes when we're bringing people to Christ? We try and clean them up. We try and clean the fish before we ever get them in the boat. And we're trying to do the work of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit can do that work all by himself. And should he choose to use you, he will use you in a discipleship effort and you will build a relationship with someone. Paul almost convinced King Agrippa standing before him. Almost, but he just didn't have time to build that relationship with him. We need time to build that relationship to be able to speak truth into someone's life. But the first step is simply just saying, I've got good news for you. I've got $100 for you, and there's no strings attached. I just want to give you this good news. We've got to become conscious, church, of our, of our delivery methods with this living water. There was a time when the only way that you could get water was to go down to the creek with your bucket, your container, and dip water from the stream, carry it back to your house. Humanity progressed, and we, we figured out that now we can dig some type of ditch an irrigation ditch to, to get water closer from the stream to, to us. And then we figured out that there's, there's water down below. So if, if we can drill deep enough and lower buckets down, we can bring water up. And then we figured out how to pump that water up. And then by the grace of God, he gave man wisdom to figure out indoor plumbing. Now, there's not one person in this room that wants to go back to having to walk down to the creek and get your fresh water. The water didn't change. It's the same water. The delivery method changed. For some of you that, that 
you have a problem with modern church, the message is still the same. You hear the same message right now. The delivery method, that's up for grabs. That's not sacred. The message is sacred. The delivery method, we can change it. The living water that we have, it has to get to humanity. But I'll tell you, church, what doesn't work. Spiritual waterboarding. Where we we tie people down with legalism and we try and drown them with the living water. I have brothers today, personal, my brothers, that they've been scarred from organized religion and church because someone tried to spiritually waterboard them and hold them down, tie them down with legalism and then drown them with living water. That's not the way Jesus offered it. You've got to be willing to get into someone's world and give them some good news. Sometimes it's simply just to walk up and hand them a cup of water, that's it. That's all they need, they just need a cup of water. Matthew 10 and 42, Jesus said, and if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. You know, the term, can I offer you something to drink, sounds much better than waterboarding them to death. I've done good without offending anyone, but let's just, let's stay on course. I'm about three weeks in a row now, let's keep going, right? Telling it like it is, is not a spiritual gift. The ability to speak your mind, it is not one of the fruits of the spirit. It's a character flaw. And it's doing more damage than it is good. And so what the world needs now, church, is someone with a gentle spirit that loves them and says, can I get you a cup of water? Can I give you something to meet that very real need that you have in your life in hopes that it's gonna open a conversation for me to talk about eternity with you? Can I give you some living water? And if you take this living water, you'll never thirst again. Can we have that conversation? But that all starts with, can I get you a cup of water? That's how the church becomes effective. That's how DCC has grown and why God has blessed us time and time again. Indirect evangelism, it works. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.